So it's confession time. We're all, we're all going to do a public confessional right now. So, so by a show of hands, who likes to jam out in the car when no one's riding with you? So it's, it's almost universal. Um, there's something about a really good song played at the appropriate volume, which is loud for those of you who were, who were wondering, um, that just drives your emotion, right? So you drive down the road, it's booming, you're thinking about the subject matter and how it connects to you, and you just lose yourself. Um, I, I really love it whenever I pull up next to someone at a stoplight and I look over and they're just lost in the moment, right? Kind of making faces. Um, it speaks to the power of music. It speaks to the power of songs. Um, songs about loss, songs about love, songs that are about defiance, as all the teenage rock anthems, you know, I'm going to have it my way, not your way, old man, right? They move us with their familiarity. Like there are, there are streams of thought in the lyrics of songs, our favorite songs, that connect with us because on some level, they're familiar. The attitudes are familiar. The emotions are familiar. We've experienced loss. We've experienced love. We've been defiant. Songs are great. But we understand that songs don't just emerge like out of thin air. Does that make sense? Like there's no, I mean, there probably are computers working on writing songs right now. Um, but if you, if you look at the lyrics of a song, someone sat down and took pen to paper and penned those words. And the best songs were written out of real life experience in that author. And so the lyrics bubble up kind of out of life experience. And sometimes whenever you know the origins of a song, you know where it comes from, it has even more impact. Um, and so even, if any of you heard the, the, the song by Johnny Cash called Hurt, it's actually a cover um, of another band. Um, it sounds really good. And when you think of like his life, that literally this man singing this song has watched all of his best friends die um, of various causes, has lost a wife, it's more moving, it has a deeper impact. Um, there's a famous Christian hymn called It Is Well. Um, just, a, just by show of hands, how many of you are familiar with, with that song? Um, it is well, it is well with my soul. We've sung it here um, on several occasions. That's a powerful song to, to, to sing and to read, um, but is made more powerful when you realize that the author, a guy named Horatio Spafford, um, wrote it after experiencing the death of his son in a fire, the loss of a business, and the death of four daughters at sea. And so later on in his life, after he'd gone through all that suffering, as he's on his own kind of transatlantic trip on a boat, um, he's thinking about all that he lost, and he pins a hymn saying, it's well with my soul. It becomes more powerful when you understand the context. So this psalm 
Psalm 67, and the, and the Psalms are songs. It's almost like an early hymnal for the Israelite people. Um, this song is no different. It's rooted in reality. It doesn't just spring out of thin air. Sometimes whenever we read the Psalms, we can feel disconnected from them. Um, like it's just words on a page, similar to other words on other pages. But at some point, there was a person who sat down and put pen to paper, and inspired by the Holy Spirit, the, their life experience bubbled up, and they wrote. So this psalm is rooted in reality. And if we're going to dig into it, it's good for us to know what that reality is. Um, how many of you farmers worked on a farm ever? I got two people that like have worked on a farm, two or three. Um, is farming life the same as kind of modern office life? Question? No. Um, Bree and I used to uh, often visit a rural community as I preached at a church up in northern Missouri, and the whole lives of that community revolved around the weather. Like, is it rainy? Is it dry? Um, is the tractor going to get stuck in the field? Their entire lives, their livelihood, their financial stability depended upon things that were completely beyond their control. And likewise, whenever this psalm was written, the people of Israel lived a largely agrarian lifestyle. They were farmers. They depended upon the weather to be good. They depended upon their crops to not be eaten by insects, their livestock not, not to be riddled with disease. They lived in a way where they were constantly having the understanding that they were not in control. I mean, this day and age, sometimes we can feel like we have control, right? I have a good job. I know the paycheck's going to come in at a certain time. I know that I'm going to be able to pay my bills for those of us who have that kind of job. But for them, the, the idea of a steady paycheck would be completely foreign. They knew that they weren't in control. And they also knew that not only were they not in control, but the ground that they tilled actively worked against them. So that in Genesis, the curse that God places on man after he sins is that the, it's by the sweat of your brow that you'll bring forth food from the land. This idea that the land would be cursed and bring forth thistles and weeds and make it difficult. So they understood that they weren't in control. They understood that the ground actively worked against them. And that their very lives depended upon a good season. A good harvest. Just the right amount of rain. Just the right amount of dry days. And so it's this people um, who sing a prayer. Um, we, we gather that it's probably around harvest time that this uh, song would have been sung. We see that in verse 6 as it speaks of the earth yielding its increase. And so as harvest time comes, they sing this prayer. Let's go ahead and look at verse 1. It should come up on the screen. They start off praying this way. 
May God be gracious to us and bless us and may his face and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. Now, just a, a note to get this out of the way. Um, the word Selah uh, will probably skip over sometimes when we read in Psalms. It's a musical notation that no scholar is exactly sure what it means. It could be a pause. It could be like whenever the flutes were supposed to kick in. Huh? It could be an interlude where you would insert like a, like a chorus or something. Um, it's debated. We don't know exactly what it is. Um, so it's put there for the edification of the person performing the music. Um, so if I skip over it, don't think I'm, I don't care about the word. Just know that we're, we're digging into the words, uh, the other words here. So again, he, they pray, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And so first off, they go to God and they say, Lord, be gracious to us. And what's in that? It's a recognition of their need. If they're looking for graciousness, they admit that they're in a place where they can't demand something from God. They can't look at God and say, God, you owe us something. God, you have to do this for us. No, they say, be gracious to us. We don't deserve your help, but we need it, Lord. Be gracious to us. And so as they begin their prayer, they begin it with a recognition of their need. And then they say, bless us. And so they recognize their need, and they also recognize God's ability, that God can bless them, that he is powerful enough to oversee their efforts in the fields so that fruit comes. They recognize that God is in a position to give them everything they need and everything they want. Bless us is one of the easiest prayers to pray, isn't it? Um, we like that, don't we? Lord, please bless me. I'd, I, uh, I'd like to get a better job, a bigger paycheck. Those big screen TVs look awfully nice. I'd like to drive a nicer car. They want blessing. They want to excel at what they're doing and to do well. And then they say this, Lord, make, let your face shine upon us. The image here is one of glorious favor. Literally, whenever, whenever God the Father is described in the Old Testament, often the idea is that his face is shining beaming it's beautiful and glorious and specifically here it's shining with favor upon the people um, for the parents in the room maybe you understand this a little bit whenever your child does something like really good something they've never done before the first time uh, my daughter came in and was like daddy i can read a book and I'm like, oh, sure, whatever. You know, I'm sure you can read a book. She's like, no, really. And then she proceeds to read it to me um, like a year earlier than she was supposed to. Like, I was the proud papa in that moment. And I looked on her, and I'm like, oh, let's go buy you some more books. Like, I just, I just loved her, and, and I looked on her with favor. 
And there's a sense that whenever the Israelites call out to God here, they're asking not just for material blessing, not just for a good harvest, but they want God's attitude towards them and relationship with them to be good and full and beautiful. They want to be close to him. They want to experience his favor, not just because they like the stuff he gives, but because they enjoy the relationship they have with him. And so those are all good things that they pray for, all things that everyone needs um, or else, right? If God isn't gracious to us, if he doesn't sustain us, if he doesn't bless us, um, we, we don't eat. They're all good things that we need. And yet notice the reason that they give for their request. Let's read verse 2. So they say, be gracious to us and bless us. Make your face shine upon us. Verse 2, that your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. And so the reason that they give for their request is not their need. It's not their pain. It's not their suffering. It's not their anxiety. Like those, are the, those are the reasons that I normally pray. I don't know about you, but if I'm driven to my knees asking God to bless me and help me, it's because I feel need. And so that's what you would expect as you, as you turn to this. Um, you would expect to turn here and see that they would be praying this out of just their sheer desperation. But instead... Their prayer is rooted in concern. Concern for God's reputation in all the earth. As they look out at the nations that surround them, at the people in their midst that don't know God, they're concerned that if God doesn't actively bless them, that those people wouldn't think highly of God. They want his way to be known, that the law that he gave to them was good and wise. And then they specifically mention that they want the nations to know his saving power. That their God is a God who rescues, who has power to rescue, that answers prayer. Where does this come from? It's not uncommon for a child to go up to their parent and say, Daddy, Mommy, I love you. I think you're really great. You're the best mommy. You're the best daddy ever. Can I have a new toy? Any of you ever seen that? Have any of you ever done that? You sweet talk someone because you want something? Do you think that this is like a feeble attempt at a trick? That, that they'll say, that, that they're thinking God will only help us if we make it clear that there's something in it for him. Right? Lord, bless us, because if you bless us, you'll look really awesome. Right? As kind of a manipulation. 
It's easy to think that and then to take that as a formula for our own prayers. God isn't answering my prayers, so what I need to do is just make my prayers more pious, right? I have a need. God doesn't seem to be answering the prayer for the need that I feel. And so what I'll do is I'll say, Lord, you know, if you increased my paycheck, I would be able to give more to the church and to orphans, right? There's no trick here. And the context helps us with this. The, the, the background that these people would have had helps us to understand the nature of their request. Um, the land that the Israelites were working and tilling was not their own. It hadn't always been theirs. Do you understand? At one time, uh, their, their ancestor Abraham had lived in another place, and other nations, other people worked the ground that they worked. The land that the, they drew the fruit from was given to them. Um, the passage that's often referenced for this promise is in Genesis. It's going to come up on the board. This is Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, or Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and who, him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This promise that we read about to Abraham was not just for Abraham's descendants. So God goes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to give you a land. It's going to be a fruitful land. It's going to be yours to, 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 to be blessed by. But it doesn't stop there, does it? He says, I will bless you so that what? Did anybody catch it? So that you'll be a blessing to others. The world was and is broken into pieces. And the majority of people in this world don't know, don't love, don't worship God, and have no hope. And God had plans to, to stitch the world back together through Israel. To reach out to all those nations who didn't know him, didn't care about him, didn't care to know about him. And to bring them back into his family. All the families of the earth were to be blessed through Abraham. And so the prayer for blessing that they're praying here, Lord bless us that others may praise God, that that would be the result, is not selfish manipulation. It's not some kind of trick to get what they want out of God. It's a, recon it's, it's a recognition of a foundational truth. That they didn't exist just to be blessed. 
as God's people, they were meant to be blessed so that they could bless others. And so their prayer here, if we take the full context of what they knew and their history, would simply be this. Them saying, Lord, let your promises be true. Continue to be faithful to us. Continue to be gracious to us. Bless us. Shine your face upon us. And may that be a testimony to everyone who doesn't know you towards your goodness. And those promises are true. I want to pause here because we can't really go any farther without having another discussion. It says they want the nations, the peoples, to know God's ways, to know his saving power. If we think that God's provision, that his willingness to bless is just about stuff, even, even the stuff we need, food, shelter, we miss the point. The people who sang this song were not strangers to grief. Do you understand what I mean by that? These people would have known what it was like to lose loved ones. They would have known what it was like to face foreign invasion. They would have known what it was like uh, to scrape by some seasons. They had poor among them. There was sickness among them. When they sing this song, when they pray this prayer, they didn't do so as ones who had not experienced hardship. So there's a bigger point here. God, in his blessings towards the earth, isn't just trying to put food in our bellies. He isn't just trying to make us happier, more successful people. It's nice to have new stuff. It's nice to have materials. But God didn't make the promise to Abraham so that the people of Israel could have bigger houses so that you or I could have newer cars so that we could live with health and wealth. God is the restorer of souls. He cares about us more deeply than the surface. God is the giver of a deeper, eternal life. Something that sustains beyond the now. If we don't have anything to eat and we starve, there is a deeper, eternal life. And the blessing that he has for us is bigger than food for our bellies. So this is the gospel we preach. We preach it every week for a reason. It's, it's at the center and throughout everything we do. We are sinners. We don't deserve God's mercy or his grace. But he loves us anyway. He loves us anyway. As bad as we are, he cares about us. He saw us 
in our sinful state, and he looked on us in our rejection of him, and he said, no, it won't stop here. It won't end here. I won't let them just run off into death. Instead, he came down himself in the form of his son in Christ. He was born into humble circumstances, um, poor among the poor. He lived a perfect life, one that we could never live. He kept God's law perfectly. He was compassionate and true and gracious always. There wasn't an ounce of selfishness in him. And where we break the law, where they break God's law, Jesus didn't. And so he was, he was worthy of all the promises that God had made to the people of Israel. And he was worthy to be a sacrifice for us. We deserve death, but Christ absorbed the death that we deserved. He died on the cross for our sins. And three days later, he was raised again in life, showing that he'd conquered the grave, that he'd conquered death. And that life that is in him is not just for him. You see, Jesus didn't receive a blessing just for himself. No, he was fulfilling the promise to Abraham. He received a blessing from God, and he would bless all peoples of the earth. Meaning that we can all be saved from our sins, from death, from the devil. We can have eternal life in Christ if we would just trust him, call out to him, ask him to change us. The Israelites wanted the nations to know God's saving power, and his saving power is known most fully in the person and the work of Christ, what he does for us. And so as we go on into the rest of the psalm, perhaps the words mean a little bit different of a thing for us than they did for the original readers. Verse 3 will be up on the board. It says, let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. There's a deep desire in these verses for all peoples to worship. For all peoples to glorify God. Not just us here in this room, but everyone, everywhere. There's a unity pictured in this verse that doesn't seem possible. Right? In a world filled with war and turmoil, all people praising together. And yet this verse is important. It's repeated in, uh, in verse 5. And so you have the same words that kind of wrap around verse 4. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The need for everyone, everywhere, to worship God is central to the text. God isn't just for us. 
He's for everyone. Verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. As we sing this song, as we read these words, we call out for the whole world to have a happy reception of Christ. He is hope to the hopeless, friends. He is life to those who despair. There is joy in him. No more futility. The verses point out that God is a fair judge, that in him there's no more prejudice, there's no more favoritism. The things that plague our systems of government today and will until Jesus returns. In God, those things are not there. And he's a guide. He doesn't just leave people to their own devices and then punish them for following their own devices. He intervenes. He comes down. He gives guidance. You're not on your own. If you're his, you have the Holy Spirit to speak to you. You have his word in written form to dig into. And you have a church family that will be with you to help you, to love you. God is a guide. The psalm ends with verses 6 and 7. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And so this verse ends the psalm with an answer to the prayer that was in the very beginning. Do you see that? If in the beginning it was God bless us, here we see the answer. God will bless us. And so in this, in this psalm, we see a cycle of prayer and of worship and of trust. Um, in a sense, that is the Christian life. We have need and we reach out to God. In the tension that we feel, we worship him because we know he's good. And out of worship comes trust. We know he's faithful. We know he's good. And every day the process starts again. So application. Every good sermon ends with application. This is what you do. You've got to go out and do something. Right? Because we're, we're good, productive Americans. The only application I have for us today is this. Sing this song with your life. You're all in different circumstances and in different places. You all have different needs, different struggles, different hurts. Sing this song with your life. Call out to God for the things that you need. Trust him to provide the most important things. 
And in the midst of that, worship him. Praise him. Invite others to praise him. God's blessing is not just for us as we grow spiritually. It's for every nation. It's for the people next door. And our prayer should be that we would all be glad in him and that everyone we know would be as well. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and for your mercy towards us.